Welcome in a brand new clinical data management podcast with IBA. In the upcoming episodes, we'll bring you a sophisticated insight from various institutions that are involved in data management. Our guests are leading experts in data management, biotechnology, life sciences, and digital health. They'll share with you their experience, best practices, and maybe even more than that. Learn from the best. It's Clinical Data Management by IBA. Hello, data managers, data engineers, and all who are passionate about data in research and digital health. This is the fifth episode of the podcast program prepared by IBA, focusing on the best practices in clinical data management. And today, our main focus will be on data integration. And I am very happy that our today's guest, Richard Hulek from Masaryk University, has accepted my invitation. Hello, Richard. Hi, Dan. Hi, everybody. Welcome in our podcast. First of all, let me explain why I am so happy about you being my guest. The reason is nearly personal. We have known each other for quite some time and our relationship, I believe, is not just on a professional level. Once we even share the same workplace at Masaryk University and today we each work at the different institutions, but we still work very closely together. Richard, can you please fill our listeners in some of your background? So. My name is Richard Hulek and I'm a computer scientist or computer engineer. I studied Faculty of Informatics here at Brno at Masaryk University. And uh, at this time, I deepened my background in programming, system engineering and uh, stuff around this. Later on, I joined Masaryk University. It was 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And since the time I was close to scientific teams uh, developing web-based applications for scientific projects, mostly related to environmental monitoring and recently more focused on human health. Mm-hmm. That's an important point you have just made. So if I understand it well, you are located more in the research and science than in education or teaching. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I, I do not teach. Uh, I lead some courses at uh, at my department to educate my colleagues. We participate in workshops and we try to educate each other uh, according to the latest knowledge and stuff we learned on courses. But I do not participate on regular education uh, within Faculty of Science. Okay, I understand. That's great. Let's continue with uh, my first and uh, very warm-up question. Uh, Data management, what does that mean or represent to you, Richard? Well, it's a challenging task of every institution. Let's say that uh, uh, many institutions are switching more and more to gain better uh, insights from data. And without proper data management, it's nearly impossible. From our point of view, as a scientific and research uh, institution, it's really crucial to guarantee the quality of data. So whatever is related to make sure that no value was changed so we can track everything back, we really uh, make sure and pay a lot of attention for so-called lineage, so we understand how data were derived and what was the origin, where they come from, how, uh, which processes were applied and which transformations were, were done during the lifetime of, the, of, the, of those data. 
So that's my little bit maybe twisted focus on data management or our focus is, is a little bit maybe different than everybody else about the lineage and the history of data and tracking the life cycle that's crucial for us. Yeah, I think that you mentioned pretty important aspects of data management. And uh, if I understand it well, you, you talk mainly about what we call data integrity, which is a part of information security management system. So uh, am I correct? Is the data integrity what's your main concern or challenge? Uh, it's one of those, but uh, because mm -hmm. as I mentioned, we are focused on health sciences. We operate and maintain population studies, long-term population studies, which means we track quite a huge number of citizens of city of Brno, let's say several thousand mm -hmm. of them. And uh, we track them for multiple years. Typical design of our study is 20 year long time frame, So it's pretty long. And during this time period, we ask them about health records, about the nutrition, about socioeconomical factors, and a lot of other things. And it is really crucial, not only security of such data, of course, but consistency and integrity. So yeah. Uh, yeah. because of the value and because of the sensitivity of such data and uh, to really be sure that scientists who will use those data to validate some hypothesis, to come up with some insights and some results, we really need to be sure that uh, no data are corrupted and we have to be uh, always be able to explain and audit how data were captured, collected and maintained all the time. Okay, absolutely. Can can we talk a little bit about the design of the study? Because this is pretty amazing. You mentioned 20 years. Is that kind of a long cohort study you are working with? And can you help me and our listeners? What kind of data do you work with in terms of volume, dimensions and dynamics? Well, as I said, it's a long-term populational study which is a cohort study, population study doesn't, I think it's a synonym. And the idea is that if you, um, if you want to evaluate what's the impact of some, for example, pollution in the air, some chemicals in the environment, you are not able to track it without direct observations of individual patients or individual citizens or individual people. And uh, that's, for example, if you use health record registries, you find only people with some diseases, with some illnesses. There are no healthy people. Mm -hmm. And the basic idea of populational studies is that you work with representative set of people from a given region or given age profile or something like this. So, for example, yeah. we operate CellSpark, the next generation populational study which is focused on newborn children together with the, their mothers. And um, from the very beginning of their life, we track uh, health records. So data collected by medical doctors and uh, general practitioners. At the same time, we are using electronic data capture questionnaires to send them to individual participants of the study. And content of those questionnaires is related to nutrition, lifestyle, 
psychology and uh, a lot of other topics. That's a task and goal of one team at Retrotox who is designing those questionnaires. And at the end of such uh, population study, we end up with, let's say, tens of thousands variables, which are individual questions. So it's quite wide range of questions and variables which are involved. And at the same time, we collect uh, biospecimen samples, which are frozen in biobank we operate as well. But before we freeze it for a couple of years, we evaluate uh, those samples on concentration of chemicals and biomarkers. So this is data we maintain as well. So, uh, for example, levels of heavy metals, uh, levels of uh, proteins, uh, which serves as biomarkers and so on. Mm -hmm. That sounds really as a pretty amazing data management job. I mean, so big amount of data and also so a large scope of data. You mentioned that uh, your goals are to explore some correlations or relations between the health and environment. But based on what you said now, it looks like you are also probably in future exploring uh, the correlation of the health and the social factors because you, you mentioned the questionnaires. Is that correct? Well, the current trend is called exposomics. And it's a trend in the science which takes into consideration multiple factors. It's not only what you eat and uh, where you live. It's also what genetic uh, history is behind you. So it means uh, that's the study of genomics. It's about uh, microbiome in, in your guts. It's about mm. uh, uh, many other factors. So... We are not tracking only what people really eat and how they behave, what's their lifestyle, but we do track uh, also the internal processes of their bodies. So mm -hmm. genomic uh, engineering, protein engineering, or science sciences related to those topics are involved as well. And uh, that's another challenge we really have to face at Retsotox because uh, many different departments are producing very different kinds of data. From questionnaires, let's say it is 10,000, maybe 20, maybe, maybe 50,000 uh, variables, but it's still mm -hmm. doable. It's still a database, which, for example, be of size of a couple of gigabytes, maybe tens of gigabytes. But if you focus more on genomic data, it's the omics really, data, yes. Yeah, the, mm -hmm. In general, those omics data are producing va vast amount of, of um, text results or binary results. And it's not only challenging to store them, to manage them somehow, to really track dependencies. It's a challenge to really evaluate the content of those files because yeah, and yeah, to really gain some insights mm -hmm. from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for sharing the information about this. Anyway, can we get back a little bit to the data management processes? What factors of data management are most important to you? Is it the people, the experts, or rather the software and the platform tools? I'm asking because you mentioned that your background is informatics. So 
I wonder whether your viewpoint will be a little bit different than uh, from the other guests. Mm, tools are important, definitely, because if you are not able to manage all that stuff, it's not it's not feasible in Excel sheets. So you need some proper tools to do this job. And each domain has its own information system. Like in Biobank, we have a system which maintains uh, information where samples and specimens are uh, actually stored. We have system for tracking processes and all operations at uh, the level of uh, trace laboratories and biomarker laboratories. And of course, we have system to manage populational studies and collect data from questionnaires. And mm -hmm. of course, other departments use their specific uh, systems. So tools are really important. And um, let's say that was my beginning of my career to, to really develop systems where there are gaps. So if, it's, if it was possible to buy some kind of system or to rent, hire somebody who is operating a solution, a software which is already done, we usually just just buy but in many cases we had to we had to approach to the topic uh, and um, develop something own so that that's the that's the one part and the second part is uh, to put those systems somehow together to you know, to make them in, interoperate and make sure that data about for example on the on the example of population studies if there is a study participant who is enrolled to the study, we have to track them through the populational studies to, to the biobank where his or her specimen lies. We have to track the data through the laboratories and through data analytical pipelines, which evaluates content of genomic data or mass spectrometry data and so on. Mm -hmm. You said that uh, you need to put the system somehow close to each other so it, it's in fact the the topic of today so system integration can we talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. that uh, what is your approach do you do you use any special uh, i mean integration platform or is uh, is your development completely in-house well uh I, I can distinguish between two things. Um, one thing is when we need to make sure that we will be just track the lineage of data. Uh, it only needs to, you, you only need to make sure that, for example, you will be able to connect identifiers. So if there is a sample mm -hmm. in the biobank, we have to make sure that this sample will be linkable to study participant uh, of who donated this sample. For example, in the department of data processing, there, there are massive data processing pipelines using hundreds of CPUs in parallel to gain some insights from genomic data or mass spectrometry data. And it produces some results. It could be binary file, it could be some CSV table or something like this. And again, we have to be able to really track when it comes from. So that's, that's one case, it's tracking the lineage and be able to somehow later put it together. And the second part, mm -hmm. and yeah, and that's partially custom development, uh, customization of existing systems. And it's more about designing the process to really be sure that no information will be lost. And the glue 
between those systems is the custom development. We, we really do. It's usually at the level of APIs, at the level of some additional tooling and uh, heuristics to, to make sure that nothing is lost. And yeah. then there is a second thing. Usually we produce those data to be analyzed by data scientists. And data scientists, they, they love data in huge tables. They, they just need, you know, plain table with a lot of columns and um, the object of the study, for example, the study participant, the sample or whatever it is, it should be one single row. And yeah. to put this together, it's, it's really not feasible to do it through APIs and uh, network calls. So we usually integrate such data at the, at the database level. <clears throat> yeah, is a normal ETL process enough for you, or uh, do you require, let's say, some more advanced approach? Most of the time, yes. We usually step into the process uh, when the informatics part brings some additional value. So for me, uh, we do not program anything. Me and my team, we do not program anything if we we are not able to bring some additional value. And it could be an automation of some routine task to be able to process more and more samples, more data, comparing when somebody does it manually. And we usually approach to this if the process is somehow established. So if it's some routine work, because to make those data really valuable, you have to make them comparable. So it means you have to maintain same technique, same methodology, to, for example, do the laboratory processing. So if you extract some amounts of proteins in the blood samples, you have to do it for 20 years the very same way to make it mm -hmm. really comparable. And that's the potential for us system engineers and system software developers to automate those processes. And because it's a fixed process or established process, it's much more easier to put it into some kind of database. So in recent time, we are focusing heavily on building uh, data warehouses, which is an integration platform of data from multiple sources. So yes, we do use a standardized or what, what's known as ETL processes. Uh, we mostly use relational databases. Uh, it doesn't really matter if it's column-based or row-based database, it's just the performance. We use uh, frameworks like DBT, data build tools, to do the transformations. Mm -hmm. That's something which is really promising for me. And uh, we try to educate our data analysts and people who work with data. So because my goal is not to build my department bigger and bigger, to be able to answer questions like, or to, to fulfill a task like, please give me export of this data set from biobank and laboratory and, and so on. Mm -hmm. yeah, but you try to train yeah. them to, yeah, to, to do definitely. it I, I, right? what, I, what I really try is uh, to bring data into platform where data will be reachable for everybody. So for that reason, we chose a simple, stupid relational database because it works with SQL and SQL is the language of data. Anybody who wants to work with data should know SQL. Otherwise, yeah. it will yeah. be hard. <laughs> so yeah, this is the 
kiss approach keep keep it simple yeah, as yeah. possible and uh, i like mm-hmm. sql because yeah it's powerful language but simple to learn let's say and mm-hmm. um, it's written directly as a script so you can you can put it to the git repository and you can version it uh, as i mentioned we are using the dbt framework to organize our scripts to to which which are responsible for data transformations and again it's a part of the git repository so we can uh we can apply some continuous integration and continuous delivery um, methodologies on it and we are training our data analyst people not only to understand the structure of the database of the data warehouse and we are teaching them using sql and we are teaching them using those frameworks and git as well to be really part of the bigger team so that's that's something we are dealing uh, let's say one or two years uh back when we when we have selected this approach as a feasible way to go yeah great thanks let's stay a little bit with the system integration if i understand it well your approach is a connection of uh, domain specific systems and uh, the important uh, thing for you is to uh, to keep the linkage of the data to keep the integrity to be able later to fuse the data together and analyze different uh, variables for example anyway can you see also the role of system integration in the domain which we call common data models uh, so let's uh, imagine a scenario that your database in the salespark project which is pretty valuable uh, maybe in future there will be some opportunity to fuse it with another one because i can imagine that uh, somewhere in the world uh, another big research organization is doing something similar and uh, there might be some opportunity to fuse the data together and then this is also very important to understand the semantics of data the ontology and we call it sometimes common data models and for example we at iba are engaged in several projects employing omop omop observational medical outcomes partnership and uh, so i I was wondering whether this is also somehow interesting for you who is running a big and long uh, cohort study. Yeah, cohort studies are operated across the whole world for many decades, let's say, or a couple of decades. Uh, we mentioned study CELSPAC, which was uh, which is the mm-hmm. following study of the ELSPAC. And ELSPAC is a European long-term population study originally organized by WHO. It started about 1990, 1990 something. And uh, under the umbrella of WHO, multiple cohort studies across the whole Europe were established. I'm telling this like there is a history of populational studies, which goes back several decades, let's say. But Mm -hmm. nobody did it according to the same structure because there's yeah, um, many different opinions the individual cohort studies are with different focus so you will end up with different kind of questions there is a you know each and every country in europe speaks different language that's translatable 
but has different background in the healthcare, for example, and even the standardization at the level of at least diseases and approaches to treat them is different. So questions are different as well. And currently, uh, there is a really big push from European Commission, who which founds a lot of activities around those populational studies to put those data together. And also the trend of exposomics makes really another another um, pressure point on scientists to make data comparable because you really need huge numbers of participants to evaluate uh, hypotheses. So putting data together is a challenging thing, but there is nothing like a common model which was present before those cohort studies started. So nowadays you have to do it ex post. Yeah, by by yeah, mapping so, the data so. or by uh, labeling the data. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I can see both approaches. Of course, there are activities who tries to design common data models or similar things like common ontologies and whatever uh, you name it. And it is really helpful for people who start with something as a set of best practices, as a set of standardized questions and uh, procedures. But for studies which are already there, the only thing you can do is, is the mapping of variables together. And mm -hmm. here I can see very, very interesting trend because, as I mentioned, I started to work at Masaryk University like 11 years ago. And at the time we focused mostly on environmental data. And there was no problem just to ask people to provide the data set that they maintain. And we put everything together. We put data from Canada. We put data together with Africa, with European data. We harmonize them on methods, on yeah, naming conventions and all those procedures. And we, we, we made a database of chemical pollutants, of concentration of chemical pollutants, which was covering mostly the whole world. But mm -hmm. related, but if you switch to health records and health related data, nobody would do it. Uh, sorry for interrupting you, but in the environment, was there a kind of uh, common data models which you used, some kind of standard, or did you develop it yourself in that time 10 years ago? Those scientists and people behind those uh, environmental monitoring networks, networks, they don't use anything like a common data model, but they operate on very, very similar techniques. So from point of view of informatician who would like to see some kind of ontology or something like this, it wasn't mm. present and it's and there, there was nothing. But if you deep dive into the data set, you can see overlaps. So uh, our job was, for example, to really go through multiple data sets of, um, of those data providers and find this data model and put it together. Mm -hmm. In fact, you you had to develop something, some ontology yeah. or data model. But my point okay. was that in populational studies, which uh, maintain a lot of health record data, sensitive data, nobody will provide you his data set to one common database. So I can see a huge trend of federative analysis across the Europe, 
because that's the only thing or that, that's the only approach how you can analyze multiple populational studies or multiple data sets from any any source it really doesn't matter at the same time while those data sets are protected by institutions who really maintain them and operate them so for example we installed a file server and some application glue uh, which really maps those variables together uh, at the at Masaryk University at Ratsotox and another another server is in Groningen in, in Netherlands and another is in Paris and so on and scientists from uh, multiple departments can really analyze uh some set of uh some set of uh, analysis um across multiple data sets even though they don't have them in one single database mm -hmm. it's worth of exploring those federative analysis thank you for pointing that out richard let's relax the interview a little uh, for now would you mind sharing uh, with us any of your experience with uh, i call it fuck ups in data management from which we could learn, I mean, some stories of bad cases of uh, inappropriate data management. Do you have any any kind of bad story in your mind? Fortunately, nothing critical, like uh, <laughs> we lost something. Uh, well, I don't, I'm not aware about any funny story, unfortunately. But yeah, from time to time, it happens that we design uh, some database, some information system, which is lacking, or we are adapting some kinds of system, which is lacking basic stuff, like when the record was updated or when it was created and something like this. And even though it, it seems to be absolutely trivial, a lot of systems and a lot of people really doesn't care about this. And then it's really impossible to to see where something was changed, where something was deleted, or and so on. And in case of some, for example, hardware failure or some mistake of personnel who deletes backup or who misconfigure a system, so you have to return to the backup. Then it's that's then it's really crucial to 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 have a information and to have a track about. Uh, when anything was created or updated and so on. Yeah, so it means that without the uh, basic data management principles, you are not able to roll back to the previous state of your database, for example. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, I would just want to point it out that even such a simple thing is really, really common uh, that it's mm -hmm. not present in, in systems we we come up with, uh, for example, where we adapt some open source systems and so on. So it's it's really amazing how often people do not really care about data. So yeah, as you said, this is not funny. This is rather sad. It's rather sad, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope that our listeners will not cry now. But anyway, uh, this is uh, probably the time where I would like to conclude this interview. So, Richard, thank you very much for having you here, Welcome. for your time and for your insights. It was really uh, interesting to talk about the uh, long cohort studies because they are somehow exceptional. Uh, at least this is my 
my viewpoint on, on this because the dimensions and uh, the design is completely out of the normal scope of data management for me. So thank you very much for that. I hope that our listeners also enjoyed the news about the DBT about the SQL language is still a good instrument even for quite complex system integrations, etc. etc. So thank you very much. And also many thanks also to you, our listeners, for being with us. And together let's look forward to the next episodes with our high-level guests who I believe represent an inspiration for the clinical data management community. And with the upcoming guests, we are going to explore other sides of CDM and uncover new challenges for data managers and data scientists and also how they can manage them. I'm Daniel Schwartz and this is the Clinical Data Management Best Practices podcast show by IBA. 